Hey, I'm Kevin, the student pastor at Shore Church again. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To find out more about us or what's going on at the church, head on over to scog.com or download the app. Hope you enjoy the message. All right, as we continue our series in Romans this morning, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. Put your finger on verse 16. Romans chapter 6, uh, 16 to 23 is where we're going to spend most of our day today. Um, we've been going through Romans and really kind of diving into how Paul is trying to navigate the, the quandary <laughs> the difficulty of dealing with the reality of Jesus with someone with a Jewish background and someone with a a Roman or Gentile or Greek background. And then how do we understand what grace is, what forgiveness is, who God is through these multiple contexts and and bringing them? Because if grace and Jesus is going to be for everybody, we have to figure out how these two cultures mesh. And that's difficult, and it's a difficult thing that Paul is trying to tackle. And so as we progress throughout this book, we have to continually remember Paul's aim at figuring out how to bring these cultures together and what that can look like. Romans hinges on two major thoughts. Uh, everything needs to be looked through this, this lens of dealing with Romans, and that is grace is amazing, and sin is horrid. Grace is amazing, and sin is horrid. As we understand these two things and how Jesus interacts with it and how God has has set that all uh, up in our interaction with sin and our interaction with grace, how we deal with that really, really matters. And so the reality of what that looks like for us um, comes to play when we wrestle with Romans. And so we're going to continue with that thought this morning. We are going to continue to deal with, um, with graces being amazing and sin is horrid. Today's a little bit more about sin or overcoming sin, um, but it has a lot to do. It's still the interplay of these two and how, and how, how it works. We all have hangups. We have issues. We have stuff. We have things that hold us back. We have pitfalls that we trip over. Some of us know exactly where the pothole is. And we get, we're like, there's the pothole. I'm not going to hit the pothole. I'm not going to trip over that pothole. I'm not going to hit that thing. I'm not going to hit that thing. And all of a sudden you hit it and now you got a flat tire. Because you spent so much time looking at it, your car, it almost feels like your life, your car, whatever you want to deal with, you veer towards it and there you go. Uh, it's kind of like having a cord in your living room. It's like, oh, that cord's there. I'm not going to trip over it. I'm watching it, watching it. And the next thing you know, you've fallen on your face because you tripped over the cord. This happens, well, maybe I'm just very clumsy, but I'm pretty sure you've experienced this at, as well. What is on our mind all the time is we're going to veer towards. And if that is a sinful thing, if that is something that is not of God and it's always on our minds, we're going to veer towards it. Whether or not we're continually saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, or, ooh, look at that, it's shiny. Uh, Either one, we still seem to veer towards it. And this is one of the reasons why sin is so horrid, it's so nasty, it's so terrible for us, is because even in the negative or the positive, it still draws us like a magnet to it. 
And so how do we change our behavior? How do we change who we are? And the crux of Paul's argument is that we can't really do that by ourselves. That's not how this works. We are given over to sin when we don't know who Jesus is and we're not living out a Jesus-honoring life. And that's not necessarily our fault. The, the reality of when we live without Jesus is we are going to be sinful. We don't have the standard of Jesus. We don't have the grace of Jesus. We don't have the forgiveness of Jesus. We don't have the Holy Spirit-empowered life that giving our lives to Jesus creates and invites into us. And so you've got this this interesting thing. You've got the reality of the potholes of life. You've got the the reality of sin issues, whether that's temptations for all kinds of different things, different addictions, how we control our temper, the words we say, how we treat our marriage, how we work, how we judge people. All of those temptations come into alignment and and, and pull us to the right or to the left. We remember sin means to miss the mark. They, they, They have this magnetic pull on our arrow that we're trying to live to the left, to the right, to the up, to the down, whatever that looks like. And so how do we shoot straight? How do we live a life that, that is aimed properly? This is what Paul is going to deal with today. It's what he's going to really kind of wrestle with in this. In chapter 6 and 7 of Romans, Paul is, he, he understands this, this struggle. He he's really details out his own struggle with sin and how he's supposed to be living. And chapter 7 is one of the more humorous interactions of Scripture. And if you read chapter 7 of Romans in the Message Bible, it's like talking to a teenager who's trying not to sin. It's like, I know what sin is, and I try to not go to sin, but I still sin, and I don't want to sin, but I keep on sinning, and I don't, ah, ah, ah. It's that, that pull, that back and forth, and that, that wrestling going back and forth. Paul is completely in tune with how you and I struggle with sin. And so how do we get above that? How do we move past that? How do we push through these uh, pitfalls and these potholes and the stuff that's messy? What happens when we hit those pitfalls? What happens when we hit those potholes? Is often we wonder like, oh, I need to get, I need to give my life over to Jesus again. Was I real? Did it take? Was God listening the first time I asked Jesus into my heart? Because now I know I'm sinful, and now I know I messed up again. And how do I get back to right alignment? Now, there's a couple of things that need to happen there. We need to understand that grace is bigger than who we are. We, can ask, we need to ask for forgiveness again. But we don't need to go through the whole process of, Lord, come into my life and, and save me again, because he's there. His sacrifice has already cleansed me. It's on us to say, God, will you please forgive me of that? But some of us, we, we, we continually try to maybe take it to another level. We, we, we have this doubt in our heart, in our mind, that did Jesus really die for my sins? Did, did that moment when in which I gave my life to Christ really matter? Was, was God paying attention that morning, that day, or that time at my bed? That often happens, and then we let in all this doubt and all this, this creeping, this nagging, this veering off happen in our lives. You might think, Jared, I'd never do that. Really? 
then why do kids at youth camp get saved every Friday night at the same time every week? Because we don't understand what really coming to Christ looks like. Why do we have the same people, you have the same people saying, oh, I need to give my life to Christ over and over and over again, weekly, monthly, yearly, the church? Because it feels like something's wrong, something didn't take, something is not in alignment. And those are two different issues. One of them is we deal with it in a way in which rededicating your life to Christ, getting back in alignment with Christ, that's a whole different issue. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Say, I'm committing myself back to Christ. I know I've walked away. I know I've veered away. That is one thing. But asking Christ to come be Lord of our lives again is something a little bit differently. Because when we, we do that, we're kind of, the way in which the Jews would atone for their sins and get rid of the sins is they would sacrifice an animal to get back to being uh, one with God again. And when we say, Christ, you got to come forgive me of my sins, and I want to participate in your blood wash over me again, and we, we go through that whole process again, what we're actually kind of asking Jesus to do is get back up on the cross for a second or third or fourth or fifth time. And Paul talks about that. as like, whoa, 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 once was enough. We don't need to do that. And so there's a, a line that we need to figure out there. Sometimes our guilt weighs down us so heavily. Our frustration with our spiritual feelings, our frustration with our own, the way in which our life is going is such a way that something has to be different. Something has to be better. Something has to, to change in this moment. And so I want to talk about those frustrations and I want to talk about how we, we operate in that so that it doesn't feel like we're trying to crucify Christ every week, every day, that once was enough for us. Now, asking for forgiveness of sins and coming back to the Lord and, and rededicating our lives for that is perfectly fine, but let's be careful with what we're actually doing um, and what we're actually trying to accomplish in our spiritual life. When we see these potholes, when we see these frustration things, when we fall in and when we mess up. Romans 6 uh, 16 to 23. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation today. Uh, the New Living Translation today. So if you have an NIV or some other translation, uh, it may seem a little bit different to you, but it, I like the way in which this was an easy, easy read. Some of these uh, concepts in Romans are so tough that we kind of try to make it easy as possible. The New Living Translation is written on a, a, a lower grade level reading level than the NIV. Um, so it just makes it easier to read. That's how that, that works. If you want to have a conversation about what Bible version is best for you, we can have that at a later time. Romans 16, uh, or 6, 16, sorry. Don't you realize that you became a slave of whatever you chose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. All right, this conversation about what a slave is and what this looks like. We're going to go through basically line by line and kind of pull apart and pick apart different things that we need to talk about in this. So the major, the major point of this is understanding what a slave is. Don't you realize that you became a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You are either choosing to obey sin, and it's the pleasures of the flesh, whatever that looks like in your life, you're choosing to obey sin, or you're choosing to obey God, which leads to Righteousness, which righteousness is a, diff, it's a fun word for holy, to become, uh, you know, becoming right with God, to do the right thing. And so 
we, we either choose the right thing or we choose sin. We choose the right thing or the wrong thing. It, it's as simple as that. However, how do we do this? It's, it's more than that because we're in the place of we get to choose between the two. Now, think this is, this is the thought that's hard for us, especially as Americans, to understand. We sit at the place where we get to self-determine all kinds of different things. We get to self-determine where we're going to live. We get to self-determine what jobs, and mostly, what jobs we're going to have, what career path we're going to do. Uh, we can even, you know, this year, we, could self, we were so upset if we could self-determine uh, if our kids were going to go to school or not. Like, that was a big deal. It felt like our freedoms were being taken away. Here on Memorial Day, we celebrate men and women who gave their lives so that we could have this country that we live in. We celebrate the freedoms that they paid for. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. However, that infiltrates who we are as Christians and freedom and being a Christ follower actually... It's a tricky thing to understand because Paul's talking about, listen, listen, you're a slave to one or two things. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. That, that's your two options. There's not a self-determining thing. It is you are a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. And for me, I know nobody can tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. I like my independence. But the reality is you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. That's what this, uh, this word slave is, is the word doulos. And it's even more so than, than just slave. It is sometimes in some translations, it's translated servant, which is not really accurate either. But people, especially in America, we have such a, a revulsion, which we need to have a revulsion, a revulsion against slavery that we say, oh, let's just get rid of that word and not deal with it um, because it has so many negative connotations. It does have neg- negative connotations. But doulos means slave, indentured servant, without any ownership rights of their own. You do not have self-determination rights. You, are, you have no ownership rights of your own. But the interesting thing about doulos is that you are giving away your rights. You are giving away your rights. You were saying, I, I will give away, I will come work for you and give away my rights for this for, to get rid of my debt, to pay for my kids' uh, education, for whatever this looks like. That is what um, this means. And so you're choosing to give away your rights. And so you're either choosing to give away your rights to sin or you're choosing to give away your rights to God. And when we start to understand it that way, we start to grab a hold of what this means for us and how we deal with sin in our lives. So, in sin, you choose your uh, your sinful desires to be your ruler. But in faith, we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and choose to be underneath his lordship. Verse 17. Thank God, once we were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Okay, all this slave talk, it gets really uncomfortable. I think we can all agree that when you start talking about, I don't want want to be a slave. No, 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 no. Uh, 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 uh. Paul is intentionally choosing this idea of slavery and wanting to, to hit it. Not to, one, to make them a little uncomfortable, but it's so prevalent in Roman society of the time. 50% of the empire is probably is in and out of slavery. Has, so everybody you knew was in and out of slavery. 
they, they, they understood it. Now, you could get out of slavery. It seems a little bit easier than, um, than our American version of it. But there was uh, 10 years to it. There was ways to earn out. There was slaves that had a lot more power, uh, a lot more influence, a lot more education. But there still was the galley slaves. There still was the, the, the terrible slavery that kind of we think about. There was people that, but anytime you don't have your own ownership of your life, it doesn't matter if you're educated or not think it's pretty bad. But everybody would have understood it. So the Bible stays pretty silent on the morality of slavery. Um, in, in, I wish it would have said, hey, don't ever own slaves. Boom. When the whole world in this time is operating this way, that, it was kind of a foreign thought. And so to place that back onto Paul was kind of, kind of rough. Now, this is one of those sticking points that we have to deal with in culture in our own time. And sticking points we had to deal with uh, through our own country's history. But the reality of slavery and how we live our lives for Christ is, is still a, a foundational point of, of how Paul is dealing with. And so he's taking something that is an everyday item. All of you are slaves. All of you are free. But you all know them, so you understand what's going on, that you don't have a self-determination, that you don't have any ownership rights of yourself. You are either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Jesus. There's no third ground. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves over to be slaves of righteous living so that you will become holy. He uses this illustration with the depth of emotion that would be tied to it. With the depth of of pain and hurt. I was listening to a podcast this week about uh, Thomas Jefferson's slaves and his mistress slave. Um, I don't know how to appropriately say that. Um, and And her children and how um, that relationship was, and the depth. There's a Harvard professor who just came up with a new book about it, and the depth of pain that was found in that, the depth of identity crisis, of here I am as a child of Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of the country, one of the most well-respected men of the, the nation at that time and of our present time. But here are these kids who are the illegitimate children who are born into slavery and later set free, but how that all works, how do you figure out your identity? How do you figure out who you are in that moment? The depths of that pain, the depths of that, 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 that angst. And as we discuss that, as we, we, we wrestle with it, as we talk about it, it it brings to light some really hard questions and some really deep issues in our own lives. Because we have the same identity crisis as when we've been born out of sinful and we've been worshiping or chasing after a sinful master. Whatever our flesh has wanted. Whatever our desires were. And we move to trying to understand Christ and be a slave 
Jesus. See, often sometimes when we come to, to Jesus, instead of transitioning our, we, we were, we were like, yes, I was slave, a slave to my flesh. I was a slave to all this nasty stuff. I was a, I did do all those things. And when we come to, oh, Christ, get me out of this. We want to be a free, independent person and not a slave to God's desires for our lives. Well, the, the, the trick in that and the, the, the difficulty in that is we want to be our free, independent person, not have anybody be Lord of our lives. I understand that that sounds good. Except the Lord of our life that we're, we should be putting ourselves under is the creator of the universe, the savior of our souls. It's God himself. And our tension that maybe we feel of why do I keep on going back to sin is because we haven't actually made God Lord of our life. We just wanted him to get us out of the mess that we were in. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from obligation to do right. And what was the result? You were now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things in the, that in, in the end, in, sorry, things that end in eternal doom. But now you're free from the power of sin and become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, I really want to center in on this last sentence. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages, you can underline wages. I've heard this. One of the funniest things my mom ever had in uh, children's ministry happened because of this verse. A child, my mom asked, okay, guys, there's 30 kids in the room. Okay, guys, what is a, a, a wage? And this, nobody answered. Nobody answered. They got out real quiet. Mom's like, what's the problem here? What's a wage, guys? What's a wage? This little second grade boy raises his hand. This didn't happen in this church, by the way. It did not happen here. Uh, raises his hand and says, is that when your underwear creeps up? But, so from now on, this verse is burned into my memory as the wedgies of sin is uh, his death, but the free gift of God. Um, that is a true story, and so there, there's that. That would have been a lot funnier if there was people in the room when I was giving this, this, this message, by the way. So I hope you're laughing uh, this Sunday morning. But the wedgies of sin. The wages of sin is death. This word wages is um, opsonion, opsonion. Uh, you don't care about the Greek pronunciation, but that's what it is. It means given for service rendered. What it was was the minimum wage. It was the absolute base of pay that you could give a soldier and him not revolt. That was, that was what the wages of sin was, or the wages were. And so that's what this word is. It, it was actually starts out, the root word is a, a meat. And, and so given for services Rendered. It's basically how much meat do I have to give this soldier before he will not turn his spear on me? That is, that is where it came from. The bare minimum, it's minimum wage. It's $7.25 an hour or whatever it is nowadays. It's what you deserve, it's what you earn, it's what we are owned. It is what is supposed to be fair and just compensation for us who are enslaved to sin. It's death. What are you, what are you, what are you just in fair compensation for sin? Is death. But, juxtaposed in this sentence, is the free gift, the reward, 
of choosing to be a bondservant of Jesus, a slave of Jesus, is not a wage. It's not what you deserve. It is rather the free gift of eternal life. Do you see the difference in that? When we're choosing who is going to be our master, a, when we give our ownership rights to sin or we give ownership rights to God, one, we get what we deserve, which is death. We get the bare minimum. We get the junk. But when we give ourselves to Christ and, and, and are, are become a slave to God, we don't get a wage. We get the free gift of eternal life. We don't get what we deserve. We get infinitely more. The, the word uh, for gift here is charisma. And it's an endowment of grace. And now the word that popped up, to, there's a lot of words in there that you might uh, pop in in your head. Gift, charisma, grace. Woo, I'm going to pick endowment. That's the word I'm going to choose for you today. And you're like, that was not where I thought you were going, Jared. Fair enough. Endowment. But then I started thinking about what is an endowment? What does this look like? What, is, what does that mean? So I started looking up what college has the biggest endowment. Harvard University has a 38 billion, I feel like I need to do a Dr. Evil thing here, billion dollar endowment. 38 billion. That's a lot of money. And let me tell you, I went down all kinds of rabbit trails because of that this week. But $38 billion is an endowment. So if you want to justify, put it kind of in two camps here, is that when you are slave to sin, what you get is the minimum wage. You get the just desserts. You get just the bare minimum of, of life, which leads to death. But if you choose to be a slave of God, you are ushered into the endowment, the $38 billion, the more than you can ever imagine, the free gift of Christ. Not because you deserve it. It's way more than you deserve, but you get to be a part of that. Now, for those of you who are like, well, $38 billion isn't really that much. Jeff Bezos makes this much money. It's not the point, folks. I'm talking about it's, it's the comparing the two is so dramatically different. It's, it's not even comparable. It's not even calculable how different it is. The wages of sin is death. That's what the just desserts is. But what happens when we give our lives to Christ, when we become a slave of God, when we give up our ownership rights of our life, quit trying to wrestle them away from everybody else, and give them to God, we don't get paid. We get an endowment. We become a trust fund kid. And so often I think we resist God because we don't want to give up rights to our life. Well, when we resist God and because we don't want to give up rights to life, what have we gained rights of? We can maintain the right for death. We've maintained the right for pain, for sorrow, for disappointment. That's what we've maintained the rights for. When I give our lives to Christ and we give up our ownership rights to God, we gain so much more. The word before, the verse 22 it go, it, uh, the sentence before says, now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. 
The word holiness in your Bible might say sanctification. They're synonyms in this. They actually are the same uh, Greek word. This holiness, this, this sanctification. Sanctification is a big fun word, right? And you may ha- hear that word thrown around. You're like, I don't even want to touch it. I just know that I'm not it, whatever that is, right? But this idea of being sanctified to start going, getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to Christ. To arrange our lives so that we are closer and closer like how he wants us to be. Because when we give up our self-determination of who we are, when we give up our ownership of our life to God, we, we want to become the best of who we can be for God. And what does that look like? What does that mean to you? Well, what that really should look like is that we let the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, start transforming our lives. And what that ha- we read Jesus' words and we start to, to, because we want to please our master, we want to become more like God uh, in, in his holiness, not in his determination of how the world works, but more like God in, how, in his holiness, we start to see people as he sees them. We want to learn how we're supposed to interact with people, not judge people how we deal with our temper issues, how we deal with anger, how we deal with our marriages, how we deal with our parenting, how we deal with all of the issues of life, the real stuff of life. And in that, when we let God have control of that in our lives, we start to become more and more like him, which means we get closer and closer to him, which means we, look, we are becoming more holy in that and more sanctified in that. Not that we have become ascended into becoming a different being or something uh, weird like that, but just because we are seeking his face, because we are chasing after him with everything that we have, we want to become more and more like him. In giving up ownership of our life to God, we start to, we align and we give him power and control of our life to mold us into the people that he has called us to be which is infinitely better than when we're letting sin rule our lives. We're a slave to our lustful desires. We're a slave to whatever's shiny in our life, whatever we think will make us feel good in this moment. But instead, align ourselves to what God has called us to be, what God wants us to be. This, is, this transformation is the throwing off of our sinful past and diving fully into what God has for us. The transformation is throwing off our sinful past and diving fully into what God has for us. This is a hard transformation, and this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. And I know that you have that same fight in your own life. We have these, these things, that transition of getting rid of the sinful stuff, getting rid of our old habits, and becoming who God has called us to be. It is difficult. And it's something we have to struggle through. It's something we have to push through. But where it really becomes a struggle, and where that's really rooted, is we're still trying to be, instead of giving our lives and and giving ownership of our life to God, we just didn't want the ownership of our life to be sin. And so we're trying to create this third way that doesn't exist. And we may be playing mind games with ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm not that 
nasty anymore. I don't do that anymore. I don't do this anymore. And, and it feels like it's like the American way in this moment to come up with this, this third way. Well, I'm good enough. And that's not what God is calling us to do. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die for you and for me for us to be good enough. He didn't die on us just to get status quo and just not to murder people. He died for you and for me so that he could have relationship with us because he wants to give this enormous endowment to you, this free gift. This is so much more for you. Instead of trying to get by on scraps, on things that are dead, I have life for you. Let me be your master. Let me pay for it. I've got a better life for you. I've got a better future for you. I've got a better eternity for you. And so as we wrestle with sin, as we understand what grace is, that grace is amazing. And sin is horrid. And the only place that it will take us is to death. This is available for you this morning. To move from sin to salvation. If you want that, if you want to jump into that, if you want to make the Lord God Almighty your Lord this morning, I ask you to pray with me. Lord, I know I've made mistakes. I know I have a past. Lord, I made mistakes this morning. But in this moment, I want to give ownership of my life to you. I want a new future in you. Please take my life and take my future. Will you forgive my past and make plans of my present and my future? I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this morning is a morning in which we dive into who God has for us. That we recognize where we've tried to, to make our master ourselves sin or god if we're truly honest with ourselves and place our hearts where that truly belongs in the hands of jesus thanks for joining us at church this week and a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity you too can support our mission to reach grow and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe, and don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.